Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today. Not a problem. Really happy to be here. We're talking about a really fun topic today, aren't we? <laughs> well, I find it interesting is probably the word I would use. Fun is probably maybe a little bit of a stretch, but certainly interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, before we dive in, I'd love if you could introduce yourself, what you do at Australian Unity and a little bit about your podcast, which is a quite an interesting concept. Yeah, no problem. So um, my name's Anna Hacker. I am an accredited specialist in wills and estates, which means pretty much all day I talk about death. I talk about death with clients. I talk about what happens if they lose capacity in their life. I have to talk about their assets. And I, I learn kind of every little secret that people have because I need to know it to make sure that when I put their wills and powers of attorney in place, I'm not missing anything. So I think it's a really interesting job. It's one of the most interesting legal jobs you can have because you really get to know your clients and understand how they work. But it's also quite technical, which is the interesting, the other interesting part of it. So I head up the, the national legal practice within Australian Unity and that's all we do. We do wills and estates and unrelated work, so property transfers, all that sort of much more boring legal work. And I, as a part of my role, host a podcast. So Australian Unity has a podcast. It's called What Happens When I Die. Um, the company as a whole, we look at real well-being. So real well-being doesn't just end when you pass away. It, it continues on and it continues for your beneficiaries and those around you that you want to support and, and care and look after. And so that's why I thought this podcast would be a really interesting topic for not just people within Australian Unity and our members, but also other people, because it's really hard to get information about, from a legal point of view, what happens when I die. And, and that's really the goal, to educate, to help, and to guide people in making decisions from a legal point of view about what happens when I die. Because they're massive questions and we don't always talk about them. There's a lot of them we don't actually want to talk about because we don't like to think about it, but they can involve a lot of money and a lot of pain if we don't think about them and plan ahead appropriately, don't they? Absolutely. And the, the lots of money is is absolutely correct. I mean, usually in state litigation, so when it all goes wrong, so if someone challenges a will, whatever reason, whether it's because they feel the person didn't actually know what they were signing, whether it's because they didn't have capacity, or whether it's because they felt that they were left out of their will, that can be really costly. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars at, at almost a minimum. It's very expensive to challenge a will. And there's this idea out in the public that it's all paid for by the estate, which is not actually quite the case. So I should do a bit of a disclaimer please don't rely on any of this for legal advice. You need to talk to your own lawyer about your circumstances. But there's a lot of money involved. And whether that's a, a young person who feels they don't have any assets, but probably actually do, um, or someone who's been accumulating wealth for their whole life, there's a lot of money involved. And when it's when people fight over it, 
there's a lot of money that has to be spent on legal fees. So estate planning is trying to minimise the chance for that to happen. That's what I do day in, day out. We try and make sure that people are going to put the right things in place to try and minimise the chance of a challenge, but also to set it up properly, as I said, for beneficiaries and for that next generation. And that's really critical to to get right, to get right at the right time as well. And I think in our 20s, we don't really want to think about all these (laughs) things like estate planning and our wills and who's going to be our our beneficiary. But as we were talking a bit off air and we're going to get into, if we don't think about our superannuation and maybe some of our life insurances, there can be quite a large estate for someone in their 20s, maybe six figures that we haven't even made any plans for. We just assume we'll go to maybe our parents or our sibling that the court will just sort of magically fulfill our wishes. And that that is absolutely true. I've seen huge estates from, from quite young people and there's lots of reasons for that. Mostly it's super and life insurance and I'm sure we'll talk in a lot of detail about that and we can, can do that now. But the estates that are um, there for young people are a lot bigger than they think. When people say, I don't have anything, I don't need a will, as soon as you say, well, have you ever had a job? Now, I'm thinking back to when I had my first job in a cafe in Ballarat and I earned not a lot of money, but I had super accumulating. And in that super account, I had insurance attached. Now, thankfully, I didn't pass away then. But if I had, I would have had a couple of hundred thousand dollars in my estate. Now, I didn't see myself as someone who had a lot of money. There is no way I would have written a will because I wouldn't have written a will for my, you know, sports girl collection or, you know, <laughs> jewelry collection, what, what, whatever that was. But in reality, I actually had quite a substantial estate. And that's what we find with younger people. They, one, don't want to think about that, unfortunately, they might pass away. But they also don't want to think about the other part of estate planning, which is what happens if I lose capacity. And that's really, look, when it goes wrong, it's a disaster. If you don't have things like powers of attorney in place, then it is really hard for loved ones to help care for you and to make decisions on your behalf, particularly when it comes to financial decisions. You have to have then someone appointed. So that's where I think we really need younger people to understand. Um, And I say that thinking I'm in that generation, but unfortunately I'm not. I think I'm just out of the younger, in quotation marks, generation. But we need people to understand that you have wealth from a very young age and you might not even realise it. But if you were to pass away with super and life insurance, you're probably going to have a few hundred thousand dollars sitting there and you want to make sure it goes to where you want it to go, not okay, the government does have a have a plan for where it goes, but it might not actually be where you want. Yeah, and I think before we dive into the nitty-gritty, I know these conversations can be a little bit scary and confronting and I we probably don't want to think about them, especially right now in lockdown, but what would be the starting point for people to just start having these conversations with their friends and family before we just sort of dive into super and wills and all <laughs> of that fun stuff? Yes. Yeah. Look, I think that the thing about death is that we need to use the word a little bit more. We need to make Mm -hmm. it not quite as scary. And there is actually a campaign um, from the Groundswell Project, which is talking about death, making sure that we have it as a part of conversation. We just had Dying to Know Day. Um, It's in August August every year. And it's a, a campaign to try and get people to be more open to talking about death, to talking about what their wishes might be, what their objectives are, you know, talking about a funeral and things, things that mm-hmm. you don't want to talk about. And I completely understand that. I mean, my own parents, I don't think have listened to my podcast, as my mum says, because I don't want to think about death. 
Yeah. I said, but we need to have these conversations. I know how hard it is. We we just need to though start to make it a conversation. We can have ways to start it are to talk about they talk about just getting around the table and having a conversation, particularly with family, about what, what your wishes are. Even for younger people, that conversation may not be as important for themselves, but understanding what their parents' wishes are is mm. really important because I can tell you, just having gone through a loved one passing away in lockdown. It is not something that you want to not have talked about because that's hard. You're grieving and then you think, what am I making? Am I making the wrong decisions? Um, Is this what actually she would have wanted? You need to have had them at a time when it's not just in front of you, you know, and and then you have it and that's it. You don't have to keep thinking or talking about it. You you have the conversation and and it's something that you can kind of tick off your list of things to do. Yeah, and it's so much easier when you, you're planning all these things and you know what the loved one would have wanted than having to sort of just make it up as you go based on what you think they wanted. And even in, you know, traditionally, traditionally, people used to have will readings. So you used to have a time after a funeral where people would all sit in a room and a will would be read from pretty much start to end. We don't do that anymore. Just a spoiler for people who see it in the movies and think that sounds really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't happen. Look, maybe it does happen, but I think most lawyers don't want to do it for a lot of reasons, including that what happens if the will says something that hasn't been communicated to family? You end up having a bit of a tussle in the living room. The dramatic reveal. (laughs) Exactly. Um, You know, suddenly there's another child that you don't know about that, you know, your parents have hidden from you. But on, a, on the other side of what happens if it says funeral instructions that no one's ever communicated to family members? Mm. And so when I talk to people about that, sort of, that side of things, it's you need to have a conversation with your family about this. In, you can put it in the will, that's fine, but try and make sure you actually talk to people about it so that they know because it isn't often the first thought that people have, let's look at a will. You need to have had everyone aware of what wishes are so that they can plan, you know, if it happens, they already have a starting point and they're not thinking, is that actually what mum would have wanted or is, you know, really hoping that not a sibling, but, you know, is that what they would have actually wanted? Yeah. And that's also, I think, something that plays on people's minds. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting even just sort of watching in my own family different siblings having different perspectives on different things. Yes. It's uh, It's always a bit of fun watching those conversations. Let's talk about superannuation and life insurance because most of us in our 20s and 30s do have some money sitting in an account, maybe five or six accounts, hopefully not if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. (laughs) But we do have a bit of money sitting there. Even though we might only have $200 in our bank account, we've got some money in our superannuation and we might also be paying um, for life insurance as well. How do we plan appropriately for that and avoid any sort of costly mistakes down the road? And super and life insurance are those things that we talk about that there's no death tax in Australia, but there's a little bit of a hidden death tax when it comes to super and life insurance. And it's something that you can potentially avoid, but you need to plan. Um, You can't Mm -hmm. just leave it up to, um, I hope that it will work out. Because when we talk about the tax, it can be quite substantial and it depends on how you have things structured. Now, Having an estate planning conversation sounds really complicated, but it really isn't. It's really just making sure that what you put in place is going to meet your objectives. So whether that's wills, powers of attorney, 
binding death benefit nominations, which I'm sure your listeners will be quite familiar with. Those are the things that you need to put in place, but with an understanding of how they all work. So super and life insurance do not automatically form part of an estate. And that's a really critical thing to understand. When you have your superannuation, you don't really own it. It, it, As soon as you've given it, you know, into your member balance, a trustee of that fund, they're the ones that can make decisions and the trustee actually dictates how your super can be paid out as a death benefit. Now, every fund is different, so this is definitely not a one-size-fits-all. But in most cases, most funds, and we're sort of talking about the retail, the APRA funds, the ones that, you know, the industry funds, those ones that most people would have, they will have a, a process for how a death benefit is paid. When you look at and you'll always be asked, who do you want to nominate as your beneficiary? There's different ways you can nominate people. You can nominate them just as a death benefit nomination or you can do something called a binding death benefit nomination. Now, they sound really similar and obviously one has binding in it, so it sounds like it's forcing someone yeah, to make a decision. Sounds so serious. Exactly, and it is. You, you need to have witnesses, you need to fill out the form correctly, and all of those things sound really easy, but when something goes wrong, it, it puts everything in jeopardy because if you complete this form and you don't follow the instructions, it may actually not be binding and then it goes back to the trustee and then the trustee makes the decision as to where your super goes. So let's think about a situation. Let's think about me when I was 20, which was a while ago. But if I think about my first nomination, now I didn't have a partner. I didn't have kids. I thought I'm just going to nominate my brother. And I remember reading all of the forms and I remember thinking he doesn't fit into any of these categories, but well, I don't have anyone that fits into these categories, so I'm just going to nominate my brother anyway. So I nominated him. He was listed on my 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 form, so he was listed on every statement I had for the next three years. But that doesn't mean that that nomination has been accepted, and this is what's probably most critical for listeners to understand. Just because you nominate someone, just because it's a binding nomination, doesn't mean it's valid. Because the critical time to work out if it's valid is unfortunately when you pass away. There's a lot of reasons for that. One is circumstances change. What if you have a partner in there that isn't your partner when you pass away? You wouldn't want them to benefit. So the trustees say, well, we can reassess that and decide they're not your partner and therefore they're not going to benefit. But what if they were never someone who is eligible? Like my brother, he's never going to be able to benefit in that way through the nomination And so that's where you need to understand a little bit more about super, potentially get advice because that's the best way to make sure what you're putting in place is the right thing. But if I wanted to nominate my brother, there is a way to do it. I don't nominate him in my super, but I nominate my legal personal representative. And usually on the forms, it will have that option. It sounds really odd. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. It might also be called an executor, but your legal personal representative means that your super then goes to your estate. And your will then guides what happens to your super. So in that case, I could have then nominated my brother in my soup, in my will and my brother then would have received my superannuation. The kicker is, though, he's still not a dependent for tax purposes, which means he will be taxed on that super. So he's taxed at the marginal um, tax rate. So that could be a substantial about coming out of my you know, very meagre superannuation balance. Life insurance is the same. So life insurance does not automatically form part of your estate unless the beneficiary is either yourself 
your estate or it's nominated in that way. So if it's as a part of super, usually the, the nomination will follow each other. So it'll be the same one. But if you have life insurance outside of super, then you need to make sure you understand who owns it. Is it you? Is it your estate? Or is it someone completely different? Because that's where your, your life insurance goes. And life insurance that goes to someone who is not a tax dependent is taxed at 45%. Wow. Yep. So you're penalised for not having a dependent yes. in a way. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> very fair, does it? No, it doesn't. Other than, um, and this isn't really a, a thing to make it more fair, but it's a reason why, because life insurance and super is there for supporting your dependents. In effect, in a lot of trustees, you see the purpose of superannuation is to benefit you in your retirement and your dependents after you've passed away. The same goes for life insurance. Life insurance isn't a way of magically having a whole heap of money when you pass away. If you don't have dependents, which is it's meant to be there to sort of support that, you are taxed on it. And so that's when people say, I've got, you know, $200,000 of um, life insurance in my super. That's brilliant. If you don't have a tax dependent to receive it, it's going to be taxed. So you actually won't get that. I, it's, and it's a shock. It's something that unfortunately I'd much rather have that conversation with someone setting it up in their estate planning phase than a beneficiary saying, but dad always thought, he was going, I was going to get 200,000 and now I'm only getting a hundred, you know, just over a hundred. Yeah. How, how does that work? And having to explain. So it, it's complicated. It needs advice. And, you know, lives are complicated that we, we need to get professional advice for these sorts of things. But understanding, listening to podcasts like this is getting that information and education and understanding a little bit more how it works to make the right decisions so that you're not going to make the mistakes that others have made so that hopefully you can save tax and you can do the right thing to make sure that your wishes are fulfilled. You can really see the importance of getting professional legal advice in this yeah. circumstance <laughs> in making sure you leave it to the right dependent if you have a dependent or otherwise leaving it to the estate if you're trying to leave it to a specific other person. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's where as well, you know, I, I, I recall one case study where someone, a younger person, they had a partner and then their sister was also helping them. Unfortunately, they were quite unwell, terminally um, unwell, and they left their super to their sister. Now, on the face of it, their sister's not a dependent, which means she'll be taxed, and she's also not a dependent in any way, which means she can't be nominated. But unfortunately, they didn't get advice, so they left the super through a nomination to their sister and did a will, leaving everything else to the girlfriend. Now, Unfortunately, the nomination was invalid, that the girlfriend received all the super and in the will she received everything else. So the idea was I have about the same amount in my super as in my bank accounts and other assets. I'm going to leave half to my sister and half to my girlfriend. Didn't work out like that because they didn't, under, you know, under, unfortunately didn't understand how it all worked, but it could have been easily solved by leaving everything in the estate to the sister and all of the super to the girlfriend and it would have been the exact outcome the person wanted and it would have actually worked out for everyone. Instead, everyone fought, everyone spent a lot of money trying to argue about why this wasn't the intention of the person and I can tell you there were not happy Christmas dinners after that. It was a pretty, you know, strained relationship on all fronts and, and really sad because it's not what the intention was, but there was really no other outcome, unfortunately, because of the way super rules in particular work. 
Yeah, that would have been a really distressing scenario for everyone involved. It was. Especially if you know that person wanted X, Y, Z and that Mm. wish didn't end up happening. And I think that that's the hard thing with super because we all have this idea that it's our super account, our balance. It doesn't seem to make sense that we can't say where it goes but unfortunately it's not the case. And that's one thing that hopefully if any, you know, if you get one thing from this episode, it's that your super is something you need to treat quite differently to any other asset and you need to look at the rules in your fund as to what you're allowed to do with it. Because if you get it wrong, it may completely um, change what happens after you've passed away. And if you're going to see a lawyer to get a will written up, you would be able to ask these questions about the super and all of that as well. Absolutely. Super is one of those, because we have so much more wealth in super nowadays, it's something we have to put money towards anyway from our pay. But the the insurance component as well means it's a huge asset and it's always a part of those estate planning conversations. Um, Well, it has to be. If if anyone has talked about a will and realises, oh, no one mentioned super, may I suggest you get another opinion about what to do in your estate because the super is such a critical part of your estate planning to get right and it's a a big asset. It's probably the biggest one that young people have that they don't even realise they have. And if we if we talk about the stuff that's not in the bank account in super, all of our stuff like our laptops, our book collection, can we leave all of those items to specific people? Do we have to do that for through our will or can we just sort of like tell people, hey, you're going to get that one? <laughs> well, so it's as with everything, it's a bit more complicated than it probably first seems. So, yeah, you absolutely can give any of your personal items to anyone. But in your will, um, you appoint an executor. The executor makes decisions about where things go and you'll have a beneficiary. It could be the same person. I'm not saying it's different. But that beneficiary is the one that inherits everything. And that includes your laptop. It includes your, you know, personal items. It includes everything. If you haven't specifically said, I want this, my book collection to go here and I want any electronics to go here, I want my, you know, other assets to go here. So that that beneficiary, and we normally call that a residuary beneficiary if they sort of get everything at the end, they're the ones that actually then can so if they want to, they can give it to other people. But it can't just be something that you hope is going to happen. You need to either put it into your will. We often say we would like a chattels list to be included, and that sounds a bit complicated. Chattels are your personal items. It's just an old-fashioned way of saying personal mm-hmm. items. They used to call them items of personal adornment. So <laughs> that's probably even, even worse. worse than chattels. But chattels are everything, like your furniture, your jewellery, your clothes. Those items, you can leave a chattels list and or uh, actually we always call it chattels list. I don't know what else I can call it, a list of items. But you can say to your executor, I want you to distribute those chattels according to that list I have. Now, it's not binding. So it, it doesn't mean that it will definitely happen. If you want it to definitely happen, you have to put it in the will. If you kind of say, well, I don't really mind if my executor has a bit of flexibility about this and let's say that thing doesn't even exist at that point or it's missing, well, I don't want to force it to happen if it can't. But that chattels list is quite useful and we often call them letters of wishes as well in other ways. But the chattels list is the thing that is more about the personal items and it can be updated. So that's the benefit of not having it in the will. It's in the will and it changes, you need to update your will. If you refer to this chattels list, then you have this separate document. It's not the will. It's As I said, it's not binding, but then you can say, I want, you know, 
Anna to get my all my jewellery and I want Tommy to get all of my books and you can distribute it however you want and you can update it however often you want to. Yeah, because I think there can often be arguments about who gets the, the wedding ring and all that sort of stuff and it can get a little bit complicated. And, and that's why for things like often jewellery, so, yeah, wedding rings, engagement rings, th- those sort of those things that maybe people have a lot more sentimental significance attached to, it is good to put that into the will if you think there'll be some sort of uh, an argument. And, again, this is where sometimes we've seen lots of ways that people have done that before they pass away. You know, particularly you've probably gone through it with grandparents or parents and, um, you know, they might put stickers onto items and say, you know, everything with a yellow sticker is what I thought you would want, you know, and, and that sometimes works. It can lead to arguments, but, you know, it could be a raffle or it could be something else. So there's ways that people do it. That's usually though when they're older and they have this idea that maybe they might be downsizing too. So it might be more when grandma moves into aged care, we're all going to her house and we're looking at what items, you know, we want to remember her by. So it's more about the sentimental side and doing it in someone's lifetime makes it a little bit easier because they also get to see the joy that it brings to people, you know. Um, I've always really loved that brooch of from my nana and if I could have that and she could see me wearing it, that would be really important. If it's in the will, well, it might not even be there after someone's passed away because it might have been taken by another family member. So Sometimes things disappear. They disappear. And it is, as you said, it is usually something people fight over. It's it's certainly things siblings fight over. (laughs) But there's ways to get around that being an issue or being a fight. It's it's just you need to plan. Yeah, yeah. So if you are going to see a lawyer about getting a will written up, this is something maybe you should think about before going of are there any specific items? Do you have people you want to leave it to or do you want to give the um, executor discretion to distribute them? Yeah, absolutely. And some people go to the extent of having uh, an Excel document with photos and that, I mean, it, yes, it, it, it sounds like <laughs> a lot of work, but it's quite useful for an executor. Yeah. Because what's your, you know, I'm just looking at my rings, you know, which, which ring am I talking about when I say, you know, the um, the white gold one with the, you know, the stones or something? Well, which, which one, not that I have that many rings, but which one <laughs> is it? And if, you know, it's someone that doesn't know what that is they might get a bit confused so the the photos can be quite useful and of course for actual insurance purposes too it's quite useful to have photos of all your jewelry and particularly you know more important items in your house but for the chattels list it's quite useful I don't see it that often I see it every now and then but it is a lot of work I don't have one (laughs) the lawyer says I you know I haven't gone to that extent but I've certainly talked to people about the things that I would want to go to certain family members and it comes back to having that conversation while you're alive as well because it makes it a lot easier if you know that child is going to get that ring and then everyone's sort of very clear about it while you're still alive. Yeah, and there, there can't be the argument later, but but mum told me I was going to get it. If it's been an open discussion and it's always, there is often that there are often those items of jewellery in particular that it's always, no, 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 mum always said I was getting it. <laughs> But it has to be an open conversation, not a private conversation. Yeah. The private conversation probably makes it more difficult because there might have been a few private conversations about the same thing. So, yeah. And what and what about digital stuff and assets? And maybe we have spent thousands of dollars on audiobooks, and we have a massive Audible library, or we have lots of photographs on our computer, or we have maybe some social media accounts. Like, what happens to all of that? 
Well, it's so interesting because it's different for every type of item. So, yeah. so if I cover off the photos on your computer, whoever owns your computer owns the photos by default because they're not they can't they are technically a separate item. You could say I want all my digital photos to go to this person, but you'd probably say I give the laptop that or or the memory stick or the you know whatever else the storage the iCloud has, account the iCloud account so that is how that would go but yeah. for well for things like an iCloud account or um and even an email account something that is really only digital that's something you need to look at the individual terms and conditions of that provider and it's it's not a great answer from anyone but it just all depends it depends on what the individual and when you when i think wasn't it something like when you get the terms and conditions from Apple, it, you know, if you actually read it, it would take like 20 years or something. Those terms and conditions explain how your um, accounts, whether it's your Apple account, whether it's your iTunes, whether it's whatever else is attached to that, pass on. And it might be that someone can get control. And in a lot of cases of social media in particular, there's legacy accounts. So you can actually set that up. So in Facebook, there's settings where you can go in and you can say, this is who I'm choosing to be my legacy contact. And the whole purpose of that is that if you pass away, they can go in and make, for example, your Facebook account a memoriam account instead of just a, an ongoing sort of normal social media account. And the same for a lot of other ones like LinkedIn, Instagram, those things, that's how the control of those can pass on. Technically, your executor gets control of a lot of these things. But that's a lot easier said than done. I know that trying to get access in particular to something like iTunes, when it's actually you're trying to actually just get access to it to, you know, potentially get some of the information from it, can be really difficult because in a lot of these cases, they're overseas companies. They have the rules in the country of origin rather than here. In America, it's quite complicated to get you know, through the barriers for how, well, they don't even understand what our process is for getting probate of a will. So how do you actually send that over to someone overseas? So what I would say is that if there's anything really important that you want to make sure is passed on, so particularly photos, you know, photos, if it's in an account, now I would never say tell someone else your password. <laughs> that is definitely not what I'm saying. But there are services you can set up um, that essentially hold them in safe custody in the same way we hold a will in safe custody and it's only released after you pass away and there's lots of different providers that can do that that actually hold that information and they hold it carefully until um, you know the point when you are no longer around so that the next generation next next of kin can get access to them but that means updating it it means making sure it's accurate it means maintaining those sorts of accounts too because as soon as you, you don't, well, all of that's lost. And it's really careful to, you need to be careful to have records of all of these things. And there's a great checklist um, that we use that goes through because people forget about the accounts. What about a bank account that you've never had a physical statement sent to your house about? You know, traditionally, we if people would say, oh, I'm really worried mum or dad has an, a bank account that I don't know about. Well, you'd say go through all of their papers because there'll be a statement well, we could have a whole account that we've never received any printed material for and it's just either something we know about or maybe there's statements or links or something in our email address. Well, some email providers say as soon as they know you've passed away, they cancel your account. No one can access it. Yeah. 
Now that might change in, in, in time, but other ones allow you to someone else to take over. But again, it's not easy. So that's where having something where it's setting up all your passwords in a safe place that is quite separate. I, I wouldn't recommend writing them down. I think that that often in most cases voids your warranty for like bank cards and things. Never write your passwords down. But it's this online system where you can actually have people get access to it after you pass away and then they can get access to particularly the email. That's often where as well you get access to access other things. So it's setting these things up in advance to make sure that people get access. But absolutely, digital assets are an asset. And um, we didn't even mention cryptocurrency. I mean, that's a whole other episode. Do, yeah, that's a whole <laughs> <laughs> That is so much more complicated than anything we've yeah. about because you don't really, unlike the other ones where you might have to prove I'm Anna Hacker and I am the one who owns this, that's not even the case for crypto. You, you have a, a way of accessing it and what you need to do is pass on that way of accessing it through the key. And that's, again, completely different. And there's all sorts of interesting ways people set up the protection there to pass it on to their their digital executor, which often people put in place nowadays, someone to just deal with their digital assets. Yeah. Wow. It just seems quite distressing that your digital presence can remain after your death. And if people don't have the, the right logins or the details, or they can't contact Instagram and say, just shut it down, it, it, you're just existing even after you die, which seems a bit iffy. <laughs> and and I think that it seems it's not, yeah, it's a bit unusual when you see someone pop up in um, any of the social media accounts who you know has passed away. It's not nice, I think. It's nice if it's in sort of that memoriam state where no one can add to it and it might just be tagging, I don't know, for some reason on an anniversary or something, but where people can actually have access to it and and not actually shut it, you know, shut or limit the access. Um, yeah, that can be, I, th- I think it's something that we're going to have a lot of change in that area because, of course, the people who have social media accounts are younger than the people who are passing away. So it will change over time. It's in kind of its infancy in the way that it is passed down. But that will change because it always is change. It's the, the changes led by people needing it to change, which is probably not quite at that point yet for most social media. In the next decade or two, hopefully we'll see some, <laughs> exactly. some changes flowing exactly. through. Exactly, yep. And the other thing that I wanted to touch on, which is probably a little bit more sensitive, is what happens to our sort of our physical self, not sort of metaphysically, but like yep. in terms of our wishes for our body. Maybe we want to be an organ donor. Maybe we want to donate our body to medical research after we die. Maybe we have very specific funeral music playlists we've set up, or um, maybe we have a very specific uh, idea of where our body should be laid to rest and what the gravestone should say. How can we firstly, I guess, communicate this? And do these wishes have to be upheld or is there a lot of discretion there? That's a really interesting question. And it's something that, again, when it goes wrong, it's really disastrous for the family and the next of kin. So first of all, your will can't really bind any of these decisions. Your executor gets control if you have a will. So if you have a will, your executor gets to make decisions about your funeral and things. So what we say is, one, talk to your executor, explain to them what your wishes would be. If you want to be cremated, talk about that. If you really don't want to be cremated, talk about that. Given a letter of wishes that could be in, you know, an attach, well, not quite an attachment, never attach anything to your will, but some sort of a, an additional document 
to explain what your wishes are for a funeral, for your burial wishes. You know, people are very specific. You can put it in the will. The problem is it's just not binding, which probably surprises a lot of people because it's something that people really focus on when they write their will. When you write your will, you usually focus on a couple of things, and one of them usually is your funeral and burial wishes. Things like, you know, donating your body to medical um, research or for organ donations. So those things just don't forget, well, hopefully the organ donation would usually technically kind of happen before you've passed away. So registering to be an organ donor is really critical, but almost as important, if not more important, is communicating that to your family because it is still the case that you can be an organ donor and your family disagrees and you will not have your organs donated. So you need to make sure that they understand quite clearly what your intention and wishes are there because if they are not aware at all, they suddenly find out you're an organ donor and then they have to think about, well, did they do we really want this to happen? It's actually really distressing to think about, no, I don't want that to happen. You want to make sure that they have thought about it beforehand. Again, another really good reason to have those conversations, even just around the dinner table about death, because you want to make sure that the first time people have thought about that is not at the point when you're about to pass away, because you're not going to get a kind of a rational decision being made there you're going to have someone full of grief making a decision and I I understand why families say no I don't I want to go actually against their wishes so that's the first thing for the organ donation if you're donating a body to science we do put that in the will but again explaining it to your executor who might not even see your will until after your funeral and you've been buried is probably pretty important you can register your body with particular medical institutions. So having all of that in place is quite useful because it kind of guides the process. But having your executor understand what your wishes are, again, is the most important thing because they can actually override all of these things, which surprises people. That's if you have a will. If you don't have a will, you not only have people fighting over your burial and funeral instructions, but you also have people fighting over if they are the ones that have the right to say it. And there have been cases where people have had to go to court and obviously it's dealt with quite urgently because there's literally someone who's waiting to be buried where it is people trying to make a decision that they're trying to do now about how um, what the wishes would have been. And, and unfortunately, particularly, and this is, I guess, a warning here for First Nations people because we are talking about death, but those cases make up over 50% of the cases in this area because there is a bit of a fight between the, let's say someone doesn't want to be buried on country, but the family wants them to be buried because that's the way their soul can be put to rest. And the cases are really, the court has to make a decision about these different cultural backgrounds. And that can be the same for any cultural backgrounds, Judaism, Catholicism, There's lots of different spiritual things that come into decision-making when it comes to burial of a body. So making your wishes known and really clarifying those with your loved ones is the most critical thing you can do in that area, absolutely. But also having that letter of wishes that says the songs you want to be played, that's really important because, again, it's also helping guide your family and friends with, with what you want as your sort of final, you know, celebration of your life. Yeah, because like even yeah, the religion aspect can make it very complicated, especially if there's different parts of the family that believe in different things. And again, if you have never had that conversation, it can 
lead to a lot of sort of pain and agony at that time of who who makes that decision and especially if you don't have a will as well. Yeah, and it just, lead, again, it leads to conflict and it leads to fights. It just leads to then potentially a lasting conflict. So all of the things that we've talked about, you know, today are about trying to prevent that from happening and that's, again, why having those conversations, they're hard. But if you have them in advance, you're going to be able to set up the family for having less of a conflict later. I think that's it's been a fantastic conversation. It's given everyone a lot to think about. What, what would be the number one thing you want to leave my listeners with following this conversation when it comes to planning ahead and having those conversations about death and all those things we don't like to talk about? Uh, the one thing that I want everyone to to actually do probably after this, <laughs> or at least to think about, is to actually do something. Uh, I think that as particularly young people leave this conversation, they leave the planning because one, they think it's not going to happen to them and hopefully it won't. I think that there's even some research to say that if you do a will, then you're less likely to pass away. So that's even more of a reason. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exa- well, younger. So do a will, plan ahead and actually potentially give yourself some more years. But the the one, number one thing is actually do it. Just do it. Just start the process because you you unfortunately never know what's around the corner. You want to have something in place to make sure that you your loved ones aren't having the burden of having to make every single decision that we've just talked about today yeah. and more. There's a lot of decisions to think about. And I think now's the perfect time, especially if you're stuck inside, to start jotting down some of those things that we've talked about of like where you want your um, various items to go and who you want your super beneficiary um, to be and whether that's valid or not and potentially speaking to a lawyer and getting a will written up if you've never had one before and getting some advice there on the correct way to set everything up to reduce any sort of pain and stress after you pass. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Wonderful. Well, Anna, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I think it's left everyone with a lot to think about and hopefully they do take some action following this conversation. Not a problem. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And if people want to learn a bit more about you and your podcast, where should they go? Well, the best thing on the Australian Unity website, there's some links to the podcast, but just Google what happens when I die. You will have lots of other much more spiritual options coming up, but look for the legal one because it's it's the one that will give you a lot of answers. That's probably the best way to find me. And as well for people who just want to find out a little bit more about all the things we've talked about, I have episodes on pretty much all of these topics in the podcast already. So a little bit more education is out there already to be found. Yeah. So um, if anything in today's episode sparked your interest, you can deep dive in each of the episodes on Anna's podcast as well. And I'll link them in the show notes. Thanks again, Anna. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money Podcast.